welcome to the QP Diaries podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring and empowering the next generation of QP professionals and future quality assurance leaders in the UK pharmaceutical industry. On every episode, I'll be speaking to QPs from across the industry and our listeners will have the opportunity to hear their stories, their expertise, and we'll be discussing topics to foster growth and learning to help you develop your career as a qualified person. If you're passionate about quality assurance and want to learn from some of the very best QPs and thought leaders from across the industry, then this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Dalpawa, the founder of Assure Bio, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah, well, I suppose to get us started, I mean, this is all about, I suppose, inspiring QPs of the next generation and um, really keen to hear your personal story and to share your expertise. So I suppose for those who don't know you, can you share a, an overview of your career journey as a, as a QA and QP professional, please? Uh, yeah, crikey. Uh, how long have we got? Um, I, I guess it all started uh, around about 1985. That's when I got my first proper job uh, working in a laboratory. It, it wasn't a pharmaceutical laboratory. It was a, a fine chemicals, um, so lots of serious uh, chemicals that could do you injury. Uh, and it was for the circuit board industry. Um, now, the good thing okay. about that was 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 there were a lot of guys who, very good chemists, good um, uh, chemists that had learned their trade and, and also had good theoretical background. So not only did I learn about how to conduct myself in a laboratory, I also learned a lot uh, about the laboratory basics and, and also critical thinking and working your way through problems. So it really helped me. Uh, set the platform uh, for what was going to come next. I worked there for about 10 years and it was, um, uh, I, I guess you get to a point in any career, and I know these days uh, people move around a lot more, but in those days it wasn't really something that you did. So after 10 years I thought I need to do something different now. And the job came up in the north of England um, in, a, in another laboratory, but it was a pharmaceutical laboratory in a company that uh, made liquids. And I thought, well, you know, how different can it be? You know, it's a laboratory and, and all the rest of it. Well, when I arrived, and, and maybe other people would, would know this experience, it, the, the, the way that pharmaceutical companies worked was way different to anybody else. And I suddenly found myself having to pick up uh, lots of new learning and, and the difficulty was uh, not just for me but uh, for the staff that reported to me I was also learning to um, lead a small team of laboratory chemists who actually knew a lot more about pharmaceutical chemistry than I did uh, so that was a challenge for, for them and me uh, and uh, I certainly felt the weight of the responsibility there and one of the things that I'll touch upon later is is about um, this thing called leadership that we see a lot of things about on LinkedIn. Um, and I have some uh, strong opinions about leadership and, and how that should be. Um, the reason being is because at that point, I hadn't had any uh, real uh, training, uh, mentoring uh, on how to lead a team. Uh, and consequently, I made uh, a number of mistakes and, and luckily for me the people who I work with were understanding of that uh, and I think at that stage in my career I was ready to learn from them not just from a pharmaceutical point of view but from a, a human being to human being point of view. 
Uh, my career there lasted some 15 years, and the company was small when I started. Uh, and we, the, as the company grew and, and departments got bigger and more disciplines were in place, so I managed to move around the company and do different jobs. Um, that led me into into R&D, which was a really formative and important part of my career because uh, as opposed to quality control, I was now working with people who had a more deep understanding of the chemistry of things. And also they worked on different timescales. We weren't working on a two, one day or two day turnaround for uh, products. We were looking at 12 months or so to, to get a product from the drawing board uh, to, into license. So I learned so much from those guys. And, and the broader spectrum was that I also had to do supporting of license applications through uh, through the new product introduction. So I learned more and more things off more and more people. And the fantastic thing there was is people were prepared to give me the time to understand it. So when the company finally said to me, we, we think you would make a good QP, um, I, I said, yes, I'm, I'm sure. So I had a lot of respect for the, the QP that worked in our facility. It was um, He was a very personal, uh, he is a very personable uh, chap, uh, proper northern speaking, straightforward, um, explains things in, in good detail, but it, but explains it in a very uh, succinct and, and assertive manner. Uh, I learned a lot from him in that, in that respect. Um, and it, then I started the QP journey. It probably took two and a half years, I would say, uh, to do that. And that was another very important step in the learning because what you do there is you, you, you meet other people from different industries and different experiences and you form lifelong friendships with those people. There are people uh, that, are, that are out there now who I talk to on a weekly basis or a, a monthly basis and sometimes, you know, once a year. The, the key thing and the key message in that is that as, as QPs, we don't know everything. And in fact, we're not expected to know everything. What we're expected to do as part of the code of conduct is form meaningful relationships. That's what they call it. But what you're doing there is you're acknowledging the experience and expertise of others. And you've got to use that. You cannot guess uh, at what the, what the decision needs to be if you don't know. And any people that are thinking of becoming a QP, um, that's one of the messages I would give to them. You can't know everything. And that uh, point is more, uh, more uh, poignant today as, as the um, – we'll, we'll probably have to stop there. Let me just go back there. Um, okay. So th the – one of the most important things um, that you learn uh, when you're going through your training is the development of those relationships with those people. And it's becoming more important as the legislation gets bigger and the, the orange guide gets fatter. Uh, so we must adapt to those situations. And you again, you, you have to talk to people who have the, the relevant experience in those areas to help you. And that means that you're not alone as a QP because believe you, believe it not that as a QP you can feel alone sometimes when you're working in that uh, environment. 
anyway, I was supported very well. I, I became a QP at first go. Um, the the Viva yep. didn't go that well, but I was taught through it by the guys, and uh, my the errors that I made were we discussed those, and uh, I, I took all of that on board, uh, and it's uh, it's advice that I've kept in mind ever since. Um, and I think once you've taken a Viva, you'll remember it, um, and it um, it's an experience that you must go through in order to prove to yourself as much as anything that you've got this and you'll be able to do it. And I'll talk a little bit more about uh, about that when we get back to the leadership later. Yeah. Of course, now... Uh, Kev, uh, and sorry, sorry, Dale, go on. Sorry, and when did you qualify as a QP? Uh, it was 2006, so... Uh, 2006, okay. Yeah, so it, it, I guess I was a late developer, but then I had spent 10 years in in a laboratory before I got to the pharmaceutical industry. So that that was the case. Um, so, yeah, 2006, um, and, of course, a bit like driving, it's only after that you pass your, your Viva that you start learning to be a QP uh, because the day after you, you qualify as a QP, people will start to treat you differently. People will, will see you as a, a point of contact, a point of knowledge, uh, and suddenly you can be in the spotlight from, anybody from the, the production operator all the, way, all the way up to the MD. And um, that that changes practically overnight, and it's something you need to be prepared for. Anyway, eventually, after a long career there, I'd, I, I left. Uh, I'd done everything that I could do at that facility, uh, and I left and, and then started um, my career proper, if you like, in the outside world um, um, of, of the safe, uh, place that I was in, in in different in different dosage forms there was a lot to be learned there and and one of the things I learned is that not everybody uh, thinks the same way as the QP or as you do uh, and the sometimes you have to uh, be more assertive than you think you do uh, in order to get things done in the way that you want to uh, and I guess that that brings to mind uh, the the saying, I think it was Janet Street Porter that said that 33% of the people will like you, 33% of the people you can get to like you, and 33% of the people you will never like and they will never like you. Um, I'm not sure what happened to the other 1%, but that tends to be uh, the mantra that I live by. Um, the um, it, it isn't a popularity competition, uh, and there will be people out there who understand what I'm saying there but there are plenty of people who you will get on with uh, but there are some you won't they're not all good guys but you learn to spot those and work with them as much as you can so I, now I'm contracting I, I get the uh, the ability to meet lots of different people I've, I've met some fantastic people all, along the way so far um, particularly in situations where they find themselves in a um, a different a difficult position with the MHRA, so uh, where the company is in difficulties uh, and perhaps in IAG or, or compliance management team. Um, it amazes me how positive people can be in those circumstances. And I've, I've met a lot of people who can make a difference in whatever organization they work with, and it always inspires me to, to keep going and do better. 
But the great thing is that I'm also, because I'm older now, I guess, I'm, I'm looked upon as somebody who can provide training, which I really enjoy doing. Uh, I do quite a bit of that. Uh, I've worked for the RSSL organization. Uh, moreover, recently, it's been in companies uh, where they know that I've worked in that environment and they want me to do bespoke training for them, which is great. Um, of course, doing all the things that you're doing, you get exposed to a variety of QP situations and scenarios. Um, and that requires you to keep thinking. You know, one of the things it does, it, you know, the uh, it keeps the mind going and, and make sure that you're on the ball. Uh, I think one of the challenges on the back of that is the all the changes in legislation have, that have gone on over a period of time. Uh, and um, certainly in the past few years. And we see uh, we're having to keep up with ever-changing landscape of, of the background, which makes things um, even more of a challenge. As I said, I did remediation work. That was, uh, that was very rewarding, but very tiring. Uh, sometimes successful, sometimes not. Uh, and where it's not successful, it tends to be not, not anything really to do with the efforts of the quality team but moreover the quality culture, which of course is coming more to the fore these days. And that's something that, that I always uh, keep in store. The company won't change unless the senior management is on board uh, and they're working with you. And the flip side of that challenge is as quality people, we have to explain to people who are not quality people what it's all for and why you're doing it. And that's to keep the company agile, that's to save money, that's to make sure that the company can grow. And we don't always see, uh, we don't always get that across to people. And there was a fantastic article in one of the uh, NSF journals. Uh, I even remember the number, it was number 40, I think. And it had um, some uh, an article in there that talked about why companies fail. And, and it was really good. I'd, I'd recommend people look that up uh, because if you want to try and explain to the senior management what quality is about, it's all encompassed in that document. Really good. The other thing I got into, um, I started to do responsible person work uh, on the distribution side uh, and also more recently uh, RPI work. So a variety of things um yeah all, all wrapped up to give me a, a broad spectrum these days so so that's it in a in a nutshell hopefully you didn't ramble on too much uh but no uh, no it was, it was a very in-depth overview of your career kevin this is exactly what, what what i want to hear anyway in terms of where you where you started your journey and to where you are right now and the experiences that that, that you've had so I, I think just to dig a bit deeper on that because the QP Diaries is a platform for learning and development and uh, to help the next generation. So can you highlight some or a significant milestone in your career or key learnings which you believe has shaped you in as a quality assurance professional? Yeah, I think I think what um, when, when I talked about working uh, in R&D, so one of the things about working in R&D is that two, two things, really. One is. Um, the the way that people think in R and D is very different. It's more in depth. Um, it, it has a deeper understanding of what's going on. Uh, but people people have different 
priorities and, and timescales. And up until that point, I hadn't really experienced that that exposure to the, the thinking that R&D people do. And I'm not trying to pigeonhole them. Uh, they're fantastic people. And, and well, the, the guys that I work with were absolutely brilliant to a, to a man and woman. But um, it taught me uh, patience. It taught me um, to be uh, comfortable with scenarios that will take longer. Um, it taught me good project management, which project management is something that, that would be excellent for a QP to, to look at. If you want to want to talk about putting together a continuous or a quality improvement plan at a facility, um, you need to understand how all the different strands of those, that quality improvement plan might fit together, how to resource it, what the backing what backing is needed, how to make it move forward, and the disciplines involved. Fabulous grounding for me to pick up those things, and I use that regularly uh, when I go into into facilities um, today. Uh, one of the things that recently I, I started to do was if I'm going to take up a new contract as a QP, I would start with a two-day GMP audit, uh, and that gives everybody a clear view on where, uh, where there may be gaps. Uh, sometimes there aren't, sometimes there are. And then I'd talk about the tools they might use all coming from that R&D background. And I think the um, the the other thing that, that is almost always missed about choosing a QP or, or a prospective QP is that of communication. So my when I first started working, my first job was to inspect the cleanliness of mixing vessels. Uh, and I had to go around as a 23-year-old youngster uh, to ex explain to guys who were probably 20 years older than me and had been doing the job longer than I had, uh, much longer than I had, that they'd perhaps missed cleaning something or they, they perhaps hadn't done something properly. And when you first come up against that, that's something that you have to, you have to learn how to do properly because you want the, the guys on your side and you want them to work with you. Uh, and how I learned to do that was with um, with good grace and good humour. Um, I try to uh, I try to keep humour involved uh, in the workplace as much as possible. Working in the pharma industry is is hard work enough, um, so a bit of humour goes a long way. And, and working with those guys way back then, they they worked on what what you would anecdotally call the shop floor. It, it helps me to communicate with everybody in an organisation, um, and you, as you'll know, you you have to talk to the guys on the shop floor in a different way that you might talk to the CEO. Um, it's um, it's something that you develop over time, and not many people teach it. And quite often in this country, it's something that is one of my hobby horses. Really, is that we often promote people into managerial roles or supervisory roles without giving them any tools whatsoever to to manage in that environment if you're very good at, at working a hplc or a, or a piece of analytical equipment it's fairly easy once you've learned to do it because it will do what it's told every time whereas a human being doesn't there there, there are many many factors which may affect 
how a human being functions. And that's something that, that is poorly understood and taught by management. And this is why I think my personal opinion is why when you look at all these uh, posts on LinkedIn where it talks about good leadership, now the thing about good leadership uh, and the articles that I see, a lot of the articles are very idealistic. They talk about what it is to be a perfect leader and what it is to be, um, you know, doing all these wonderful things for all people. The reality is is somewhat different. There is a combination of leadership and management that is required. At the end of the day, you know, the workplace is not not so much a democracy. If it was, you wouldn't get anywhere. So at some point, people have got to um, work within a managerial structure as well as the leadership structure. Um, it's very easy to criticise new managers and people who get into uh, into place. Um, but if they haven't had the help and the mentoring to get them there, it's a difficult job. Uh, and not everybody really understands that. Until you've walked a mile in those shoes, um, it's very easy to criticise from outside. And sometimes I look on LinkedIn at these lovely articles and I think, well, you know, have you actually done any leadership? It's all very well talking about it, but have you walked the walk? Um, you know, maybe I talk out of turn, but that, that's my view uh, on those things. What I also see it is that um, if a company is, uh, and this is a message for, for senior management who would, who would look within their company to put a, a person through the QP training, remember that being a QP is not just about the technical knowledge. It's also a, a large part of it is about communication and getting across the key points effectively to get things done. And I think people who, who send people on QP courses do not consider that nearly nearly enough. Um, in, in another of my roles, I do see a lot of pr prospective QPs come through. Um, and sadly, one or two of them uh, will struggle to make the grade because they are what you might call pure scientists. Um, and I, I say that advisedly because I am a scientist. Um, and sometimes communication is more difficult. Uh, it might be on too detailed a level or it may not be um, too much may be assumed in the in the understanding of the detail. So. Um, for for CEOs and people like that, they have, they, they they have to consider if they want a successful QP candidate to get sailed through the process, they need to be good communicators as well as good scientists. So that's very important. Yeah. So where where we talk about um, those sort of things, I think the the whole thing about um, I've, I've just lost my thread. We'll have to we'll have to edit that bit. I think. Just bear with me a second. Yeah. No worries, Kev. Yeah, I can uh, lead on to the next question about collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. You right. can edit that bit, okay. can't you? You've gone yeah. slightly so I'll, out I'll of focus it. to me, though. I think it's just the recording. So, don't, yeah, it's just it's just the way it uploads. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, so, so, I'll get into the next question then. Um yeah. So you mentioned okay. a couple of things there, Kev, in terms of your, I suppose, transition from being a QP then into leadership and effectively how important communication is. 
and the style of communication. But I yeah. suppose in regards to that, in terms of collaboration within departments, mm -hmm. within businesses, managing up, managing down, how important is that? I think so. So if you want to be successful um, within the workplace, I'll talk about managing upwards uh, in a minute. But um, with the guys who, who do the job, what I see all far too often is that QA are far too overbearing in the approach. And, and by that, I mean, um, if, if something needs to be improved or an SOP needs to be changed, you find that the QA people take over and start writing it themselves, and then they push the SOP through the system out into in, into use. And then the people who actually use the SOP, um, well, a number of things happen. First of all, the SOP doesn't act, accurately reflect what they actually do. They've got no input into the process, so no buy-in. And as a consequence of that, you get more uh, error and problem and credibility is lost in the use of standard procedures and, in fact, QA. And I've I've had examples of that in the last two contract roles that, that I've gone into. And when you speak to the people who are involved, they're really good people. I always say to QA staff particularly, you know, the people who come to work here don't get up in the morning and think, today I'm going to go go to work and I'm going to do a bad job. Nobody thinks that when they get up in the morning, so why should we assume that that's what's happened? Um, that and, and uh, poor root cause uh, uh, analysis and, and thinking. Uh, I encourage people at the symposium earlier this year, uh, one of the speakers, I forget who it was, was uh, talked about a book called Fast and Slow Thinking, I think it was. And in there is an absolute gold mine on how people don't think uh, or they think in a way uh, that is more from a gut instinct than collecting information. And if you want to know or get some insight into why root cause is so poorly done, uh, the beginning of that book will, will give you some information on that front. Um, the other thing that I found is, is that you've got to rely on other people. And by that, I mean some individuals they may not have the skill, the specific skill. So I'll give an example. Uh, we needed to, going back a few years, we were installing a, a new uh, HVLC setup. It was a big investment, uh, you know, probably a, I think it was about 10 new HVLCs, a network system and all the rest of it. Uh, and we, we haven't got expertise in, in CSV. Uh, we've got somebody who was... Uh, um, was a consultant, but they didn't know the HBLC set up well enough. Now, one of the guys that worked for me was very, um, uh, very keen, very knowledgeable, uh, and he was like a sponge. And I, and I said to him one day, I says, you know, this is what we're we're up against. I'm not really sure where we go with this. And he said, well, I'll give it a go. You know, I'll, I'll have a look at it. Uh, and I thought, well, okay, the, you know, in in the face of this, I think enthusiasm is 50% of the job. So I'll, I'll let the guy get on with it. And I didn't micromanage him. I, I let him do the research, um, gave him some timescales, because uh, obviously you have to do that. And he made an absolute fantastic job of it. 
and the example there the learning there is that sometimes if you if you identify the right person your life is made much more easier as a much easier as a manager because individuals really really want to do it and the guy went on to be an expert in that in that field uh, and a go-to person and it also uh, gave him a sense of um, uh, well-being i think before that because he wasn't being stimulated and because he wasn't um uh he wasn't doing what what he felt he was good at um you know he was he was not in the not in the great in a great place and he was thinking of leaving the organization and um but that was a glimmer of hope and once that was done he he stayed and I, as i understand it he's probably still there so really the empowering others and getting other other people to do it again i know we see this on linkedin but but it it's also uh, not always easy. You have to be the right mindset yourself, and the individual that you're talking to has to be the right mindset. Um, another example was a, a guy who was a fantastic um, R and D person, uh, knew lots and lots of stuff. Um, also, importantly, he could convey that to other people. His you know, his knowledge. He could talk to people and get them. Uh, get them to understand it um but he was a fairly quiet guy uh i i wanted him to to supervise or you know to take the next step up because i thought he would be good at it but he was he was he was really reticent to do it so i said to him we, we sat down together i said to him look um let's let's try it this way i said you have a go at it we'll do it for 6 months and you know uh i will support you 100% and if it goes wrong it's my responsibility it's not your responsibility um we'll get some feedback from the team we'll we'll have a look at uh the things that go well and the things that might not go well because you know the the people stuff will occasionally go wrong uh and see what you think of it and if after 6 months you don't like it or it's not for you then we'll we'll you know draw a line under it and we'll go back to normal um and he said all right yeah yeah so long as I, he was concerned that he was going to mess it up uh, because I, I said to him that i would i would underwrite that and it, it would be my responsibility he was he trusted me to do that um he made a fantastic job of it he loved it he loved the fact that people came to him for help um he was he was a completely different manager to to the other managers in the team uh, and complimented the, the management team really well and, and also complimented me who was leading the team. So his way of thinking rubbed off on me too so I could actually uh, see how he was doing things and, and pick up learnings from him. He went on to be a, a senior management uh, manager at another organisation uh did very well for himself uh i think he's retired now he retired early um but um he was a person who i was i guess i was most proud of as a as a manager of people so collaboration is is so important so important yeah so collaborating within teams within departments and i suppose giving people the opportunity by empowering them and pushing them outside their comfort zone to see actually you yeah, can do well, this you can uh, flourish in in different roles which which they thought they couldn't yeah and I, and I guess from a 
Yeah, and I, I guess from a quality perspective, you you it, it's easy to become the policeman and and build an ivory tower. Uh, and the past, I guess, the last three organisations I worked in, when I went to join them as a contractor, that in some part that was where they were, um, and that had to be dismantled. But but again, walking by you know management by walking the floor, uh, it's another saying, but it's true. You go out and talk to people. You go out and talk to them. What what's important to them? You know, I, I work work with a guy who was a massive Rotherham United fan. He can't help that. That's where he came from. Uh, but we used to have a conversation about how Rotherham had done at the weekend. Um, I, from a sin, supported Coventry, and so we were sort of kindred spirits uh, down in the dumps on on a on a, a fairly regular basis about how our team had performed. And it, you know, we 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 know each other. We we kept in touch afterwards, and he's a lovely guy. Um, but he worked in a different team. He worked, but he would he because we'd formed that relationship. It was possible for him to come to me when he needed help, and when I needed help, I could go to him. And and you know, it's not about trying to prove that you know everything in life. It's about knowing that you don't know everything, and other people can help you understand things better. You know, um, yeah. Trying to remember the saying my father taught me, which was, um, you know, if show me a man who knows everything, and I'll show you a fool. Um, you know, it's um, it 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 sits it sits with me. It, it it resonates with me how how that works. Yeah. And you you mentioned earlier that I mean, especially as a contractor, you've walked into different organisations potentially who may be in a bit of trouble. Um, so you have to go in there and obviously help them and consult them. So managing upwards, that communication style, how yeah. very different is that compared to leading a team? Yeah, I think I think when you manage upwards, and I, I, I'm, I'm the first one to say that, that I'm, um, when it comes to senior management, I guess I'm less tolerant as a QP or a contractor than, than I perhaps should be. Um, I've tried to evaluate at times why that would be. Um, I, I tend to, um, I've, I've had to try and work on um, different ways in, in, in which to approach uh, certain scenarios because my my default setting is to listen, understand, and then if I think the person is, is not genuine or uh, doesn't have the best interest at heart, then I, I tend to be, um, you, they tend to know that fairly quickly, uh, and that's something that I need to need to think about. The um, the thing is though is is that one of the first jobs is to get them to understand why it's important, and that again has been on LinkedIn recently quite a bit, and I think that's a very uh, a very uh, important and valuable discussion uh to get into um most senior managers they they're very senior people they don't want detail and as as scientists that's a challenge for us because we like detail we like to give detail so if you're a qp and you're communicating with senior management you have to cut it down you have to you have to get the salient points together and you have to communicate in bite-sized chunks that that is easy to understand they don't have time 
they're they're not just managing quality they're managing a vast organization in some cases uh, and what they need is a way forward not uh, any you know another problem erected for them to think through and and i guess the that's the thing is that is that you should go with the solution not the problem um and and that makes the uh, gives the senior management a little bit of an easier time when it comes to deciding what to do. I guess the the other side of dealing with senior management is uh, they are the ones that make the decisions, uh, and in in very rare occasions, uh, you know that they're going to make the decision that's not good for the organisation. That's when you have to be assertive, um, and you have to be very clear about what needs to be done, and. To any young people out there who are who are wanting to be a QP, this is one of the the hard parts of being a QP. Sometimes you have to deliver bad news or bad news from a, a commercial perspective, and you have to learn different ways in which to do that. But at the same time, be assertive to make sure that the point gets across properly, um, and be prepared for the 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 intense discussion that goes with it um it's um it's part of the job uh, in some circumstances so um yeah uh that that's important yeah i suppose that brings it back to the point where you mentioned earlier in terms of no one really teaches you how to communicate when you're going through the training to become a qp however it's a huge part of that job yeah it's some it's something uh it's something that I've considered uh I've not really had the time to look at yet I, hopefully at some stage I will but um communication should be part of I think the curriculum um and and managing in those scenarios as as I said very early in the conversation you suddenly go from being Joe Bloggs who is sauntering along doing your job to uh, somebody who's in the spotlight uh, and people look straight to you to make decisions, uh, proper decisions, the right decision, uh, and they expect you to know the answers to everything. Don't be tempted to try and know the answer to everything. So I suppose in, in retrospect, then, what, what guidance would you offer to a younger Kev um, starting out his journey in, in quality assurance and in particular, I suppose, going for the QP training? Wow, crikey! Um, <laughs> I think I think uh, that, that's a that's a good question. What what would you what would you say to yourself? Well, I think I think I've covered most of it already in the in in the discussion. Don't pretend you know yeah. the answer. It's okay to not know what the answer is, um, and that, I guess that's the same in management as well. You know, you, you'll feel in the spotlight, you'll feel like everybody's watching you, you'll feel like everybody's judging you, all, all of these things. Most of it will be in your head. Most of it will be in your head and not and not actually be the reality. So you need to talk to people. You need to get out there and, and do the communication. You, you, of course, have got to put the hard yards in. You've got, you've got to learn. There, there is a commitment for, for new people to come through. And it's a bigger commitment than I went through because the legislation is much bigger. The complexity, the complexity is there. Um, and um, 
the 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 changes that are going on uh, are quite staggering at times um i think as far as possible with procedures and processes people have to simplify what you know, and that comes from talking to the people that you're working with i i would say you know be less important be more humble when it comes to learning stuff and being with people um I probably would have said to myself, uh, you need to study harder at university instead of having a great time. Um, it was the 80s, of course, and the music was fabulous. Um, um, and, um, you know, there were lots of other distractions in those days. But um, that would be something that, that you could probably probably say to yourself. You, you, you get something out of it when you put something into it. Uh, and. Over the past, I don't know, 15 years or so, when I've, I've done various lecturing and on various subjects with students and what have you, I'm always asked, what, what do I need to do to be a QP? And it's hard work. That's what you need. You need hard work, dedication, and the, um, the, the thing that you shouldn't go into it for, although the rewards can be good, is not just for the money because it's not just for the money it's for the patient yeah. at the end of the day and you need to keep that in mind yeah absolutely. and i suppose the the last bit of information or last bit of information i'll give my former self is is yeah do it do it because it's been fabulous absolutely fabulous i can i can look back on my my career yes there's been ups and downs and there are people that that i've come across who who i haven't got on with uh, but yeah. overall, um, I'm really satisfied and pleased and proud of where I've got to. Uh, and I suppose it's worth saying as well that, that how I feel is built built on uh, by the knowledge and, and care of others to get me to where I am now. Brilliant, Kev. Yeah, no, this it sounds like you've the hard work has paid off for yourself and it's been extremely rewarding over the years and for my, my yeah, final question like um... sorry there so no. my final question kev is uh, you you touched upon it a few times is in terms of i suppose the the fast changing legislations regulations uh, within the industry and there's, there's a lot to keep on top of so how, how do you see the role of a, a qp evolving in the coming years um, I think I think to start with it, um, the the QP as it stands at the moment. So if you look at the study guide at the moment for a QP, it's broad. It has to be uh, once you've uh, once you pass the viva, you you're expected to slot into any scenario to be able to function as a QP. Um, but things are changing. the 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 manufacturing base in this country has decreased. Um, so if QPs want to get experience uh, in different parts of manufacturing, and it, it's an absolute must, you, you must get that, then people are going to have to work harder to get through that um, and to get enough experience to be able to, to manage in those situations. Um, obviously, medicines are changing. We're, we're moving uh, to preventative medicines um, and the biologics and, and all of the uh innovations that are coming through which require different different knowledge and disciplines um 
colleague of mine is uh, was at the very forefront of that some years ago is now massively in demand because there aren't so many uh, people around with with her knowledge uh, and i think the the scientific disciplines that people will need will probably change somewhat too qps may become more specialized um you know the currently a qp is expected to be able to move from one place to another to be able to deal with different different scenarios that might change um and there may be a um a need to to have specific qp types for certain things Obviously, you talked about legislation uh, you know the the orange guide is uh, is a recipe for back pain problems if you carry it around uh, these days it's a a much bigger tone than it ever used to be um i think i think also the good thing from a qp's perspective is the the inspectorate are starting to uh look to the most senior management in an organization uh looking at the quality culture uh and how developed the quality culture is and i think that's long overdue um you know the qp is expected to be all things to all people but the one thing that it's it's very difficult to do from the qp's role is is completely influence the the company in in what needs to be done from a quality perspective it has to come from the people at the top um i think the um you know the 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 thing about being more specialized um I don't think that will come uh, any time soon. Uh, one of the difficulties that we face, of course, is is that uh, the QP uh, getting new QPs into the industry is is uh, is still a challenge. Uh, the pass rate currently is around fifty percent in Viva. Uh, I may make a, a couple of points about that. That's that's worth if if people are going through that process, it will help. I think people have to remember that yes, you have to know the legislation, and you know that's a challenge, as, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, yes, you have to know about each different discipline uh, within the study guide, but the biggest one of all is that the fact that you may know all of that stuff, you still got to be able to coherently present it when you're given a scenario to deal with. It's no good if you're the most knowledgeable person in the world, but then cannot bring that knowledge to bear to manage and control a situation which may be serious for the patient. So from the perspective of, of all of those three things, you have to remember that if you have the, all the knowledge in the world and you know all the legislation in the world, it will not work if you cannot pull it together into a coherent strategy to manage a scenario and a situation. If you're unable to do all of those three things or one of those three things, it is difficult for you to go through the fiber process. Uh, and of course, that's what you'll need to do in real, real life. So the, uh, that going through those, those three steps uh, is very important and, and key to getting a success. Brilliant. No, thanks. Thanks for sharing that, Kevin. You've been an absolute fantastic guest on the QP Diaries. You've covered quite a lot there, which is good, which is what I like. A lot about professional growth, leadership, your experience, your Thank stories you. as a as a budding 
QP um, in the past. And yeah, just at the end there, touching upon the advice for anyone sitting there via or wants to sort of go through that process. Yeah. So thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to contact you regarding the services providers consultancy, uh, are you happy for me to share a link to your to your LinkedIn? Uh, yes, uh, there's also a website, um, k- www.kgcqp.org. You'll go straight to the website there. Or, of course, Dale, they can contact you. Um, well, yes, yeah, they could. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you to. know my phone number by now, so we can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's on speed, Dale. <laughs> really, Kev, yeah, yeah, well, thank, well, thank you so much. Um, you've enjoyed the rest of your day, and, yeah, we'll speak soon. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, mate. It's been a pleasure. Take care. You're welcome. Speak soon. A huge thank you to our special guest and to our listeners for tuning into the QP Diaries podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. As the founder of Assured Bio, we created the podcast to support the, our wider quality assurance community, which aligns to our dedicated offering as a recruitment agency, providing services to the pharmaceutical and biotech industry across the UK. We have over 15 years experience in the industry exclusively focused on recruiting senior quality assurance leaders and QPs. If you want to learn more about AssureBio's recruitment services or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast then please don't hesitate to contact me. Thank you.